Good morning, everybody. I have had my monster energy drink. How about you? Uh, we thought about putting a little Red Bull in the communion, but didn't know how that would go off. If you tasted a wang, that's just how we do business around here. Hey, we are so glad that you are here. And um, does anybody know what time it is, is the question. Uh, this is the opportunity we give everybody that if your watch is not smart, uh, for you to set it up. So go ahead. If you have not um, already, I realized as I was looking that I had not done that. Uh, so go ahead. It is 9.45 uh, at the tone. All right, there we go. It is 9.45, at least that's what it says on the clock. However, how many of you, your body says that just ain't right? You know, uh, you've you got something on the inside of you that says, I, I know what the clock says, but I'm just not feeling it, right? Uh, we, we know what that feels like. We, we know what it feels like when we, we see something and we confess it, but yet there's just a little bit of doubt that we have as to whether or not what we are saying is actually true. Think about this. God is. And you get to fill in the blank. God is. Here's what I want you to do real fast to make sure that everybody, mainly your neighbor, is awake. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and just fill in this blank. What would you put? God is. Just turn to your neighbor and say what you think the answer is. For you. God is. Now you can turn and shake your neighbor, all right? And, and some of you might need to talk a little louder and say, God is awake, are you? Right? You know, we fill in the blank and we say, God is real. Anybody say real? We say, God is love. Maybe some of you said that. God is big. God is forgiving. God is good. But our statement of, of fact is lived out as a declaration of uncertainty. One author said, many of us are confessional giants, but ethical midgets. You know, we talk a good game. We talk a good game. It's 947. But on the inside, we're going, oh. But it doesn't feel that way. We talk a good game, but inwardly we wonder if what we confess is actually true. In his book, The Sacredness of Questioning Everything, David Dark describes an allegorical community that has, is made up of individuals who pay lip service to the existence and goodness of a figure that they call Uncle Ben. And Uncle Ben is known to be good. And Uncle Ben is known to be gracious. He is caring. He is understanding. He is generous. And weekly the community gets together. They gather with one another to talk about how things have gone during their week. And conversation often leads to discussions about Uncle Ben. Near the end of their time together, they file into a downstairs room and sit facing a large furnace, in front of which stands a huge man with overalls, his back turned to the audience. 
And I'll let Dark describe the scene. They wait in silence. In time, the man turns around. His face is angry, contorted. He fixes a threatening stare of barely contained rage on each person, then roars, Am I good? To which they respond in unison, Yes, Uncle Ben, you are good. Am I worthy of praise? You alone are worthy of praise. Do you love me more than anything, more than anyone? We love you, and you alone, Uncle Ben. You better love me, or I'm going to put you in here. And he opens the furnace door to reveal the gaping darkness, and he says, forever. Out of the darkness can be heard sounds of anguish and lament. He closes the furnace door and turns his back on them. They sit in silence. Finally, feeling reasonably sure that Uncle Ben has finished saying what he has to say, they leave. They live their lives the best they can. They try to think and speak truthfully and do well for one another. They resume their talk of the wonders of Uncle Ben's love in anticipation of the next week's meetings. He concludes the allegory by saying that the people live in fear. Fear that the Uncle Ben that they profess is caring and generous, the Uncle Ben that they say is good and loving, is actually nothing of the sort. But they don't say anything about it. They dare not voice their inner doubt. Because the God that they want and the God that they need is nothing like the man that they see standing between them and the furnace. Can you relate it all to this? Is there a disconnect between you and God? Dark writes, we feel pressure to believe or pretend to believe that God is love while suspecting with a sinking feeling that God likes almost no one. Listen to our words for a minute. Listen to our words and we are certain for who God is. But watch our lives. Watch our lives and we express how fearful we are that we might be wrong. And so we say, God is good. But let the first bad thing happen. And we curse the darkness. And say, why God did you let that happen? We say God is forgiving of everyone but me because God can't forgive my sins. We say God is wise, but we choose to chart our own course, live our life the way that we want to, make decisions that meet our needs. We say God is love, and I've got to earn it because he wouldn't just give it away freely. We say God is merciful. If I have the right beliefs. You see, our doubts reveal what we really believe about God. Not our confessions. Oh, we make confessions all the time. We come and sing songs of confession. We pray prayers of confession. This is who God is. And we sound really good. But we don't talk about our doubts. We don't express that uneasiness, the tension that we feel. 
And sometimes our doubts can be huge boulders and they, they block our journey of faith. But sometimes they're just small pebbles inside our shoes. And they're uncomfortable, but we learn to deal with it. Maybe you can identify, some of you, with the words of an old Gordon Lightfoot song. He said, I don't know where we went wrong, but the feeling's gone and I just can't get it back. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there. Because your mind whispers to your heart and says, is God really out there? You sit here during worship week after week, but ask the question, if he is out there, does he care about me? And some of you have wondered, does anything really change if I pray and study the Bible? Hey, really, does it make a difference? And why don't I feel as I used to feel about my faith? Or the big one. If I really believe, then why do I have these doubts? God is. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So don't tell me your confession. Tell me your doubts. So why don't we spend a few I don't know, a few weeks shining the light on some of these hidden and unspoken fears that we have about our God. Here's what I want us to do for the next few weeks when we come together. I just want us to be able to come in and in all honesty be able to sit down and have conversation with God. Just have conversation with God and express those things that we're just uncertain about. Talk about our concerns as to whether or not God is good, just, merciful, wise, and long-suffering. I want us to be able to give voice to our doubts so that we can step away from the duplicitous existence that currently terrifies us. Now, I know that some of you are sitting there going, I don't know if we can talk like this in church. I don't know if we can say these things. This is like studying the Song of Solomon. You just don't do that in church. Can we express our doubts without incurring God's wrath? Well, let's start there. We don't know his name, but we've all walked in his shoes. We're going to call him Frank, all right? We're going to call him Frank. And Frank has witnessed this scene too many times. He has seen the limp, almost lifeless body of his son lying in front of him on multiple occasions. The young boy is soaked with sweat. His muscles are just starting to relax and untense. Now minutes earlier, he had been on the ground and he had been writhing in pain. He had been frothing at the mouth, looking more like an animal than an actual human being. Now Frank has taken his son to doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist. He's consulted with his priest, but nobody can help. No one has an answer. For the demon that is destroying his son's life. Now don't get me wrong. Frank doesn't just go to all the doctors. He doesn't just go to church. He also prays. And boy does he pray. We don't know his name. But we've all walked in his shoes. You've been hurt before. I've been confused. You've been frustrated and angry. We've all felt hopeless and helpless at, at one time or another, and, and we've all prayed, right? Boy, have we prayed. Some of you, you are prayer warriors. 
And some of you, you are mighty midgets. But boy, do we pray. We don't know his name. We walked in his shoes. We prayed for a raise. We prayed for a healing. We prayed for a fresh start. We prayed in the doctor's office. We prayed at the bedside. We prayed in the driveway. We've even prayed on the highway. Man, have we prayed. How long? Well, that's the question Jesus asked Frank. How long has he been like this? He says. Well, from childhood, the man answered. It's often thrown him into the fire trying to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If I can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. We need to be able to acknowledge that there exists in all of us a combination of faith and doubt. The idea that you can be here this morning filled with nothing but faith is a false idea. Oh, we walk by faith right now, hoping one day that it will all become sight. But within our humanity, there is always going to be these pebbles, maybe even these boulders of doubt that exist. Because let's just admit it. Some of the things that we have learned about God as we've read through Scripture just sound too good to be true. And some of those things that we've learned about the God of Scripture sounds too incredible to be believed. And some stories that we read about God seem to contradict others. So what do we do? Well, here's what we've learned to do. We've learned to to file into our church houses and sit in silence with our doubts. We've learned to go and be in Bible class and never bring up what it is we truly would like to have an answer to. We've learned to go and sit in our small groups afraid that someone might find out that we don't believe as they do. Or that we're struggling, or that we don't understand, or that we're just going through a very down period where our faith used to be strong, and now it's not. Can I offer you a different course? Can I offer you a different strategy when dealing with those questions? What are you to do when you're unsure about who God is? Well, the first thing is this. And you see it in our text here in Mark chapter 9. Go to Jesus. If you're wondering who God is, go to Jesus. The man says, teacher, I have brought you my son. You read through scripture, the apostle Paul told Christians that the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. The entire fullness of God's nature dwells in Jesus. Do you want to know what God is like? Well, you look at Jesus. Miss Carol McNatt is one of our all-star, rock star preschool teachers. And she has been with us here for years. And she shared with me recently how one year during preschool they were talking about who God is. And she had asked the boys and girls to to talk about this and to, to get different ideas and draw pictures and things of that nature. And she heard all kinds of responses from the boys and girls. 
Everything from how that, well, God is old and that God has a beard and God has a long robe. And, but then one, one soaked in preschool wisdom said, you know, I think God looks a lot like Jesus. Pretty smart girl. What does God look like? Like Jesus. You want to learn about the God of the scripture? Then learn about Jesus. You have questions about God's love, his mercy, his justice, his goodness. Then take those questions to Jesus. Jesus said the Father and I are one. He doesn't run from the idea that he is God. He came to declare this is what God looks like. This is what he feels like. This is how God touches. This is how God teaches. This is how, this is how God goes about living. You want to learn who God is? You go to Jesus. And then when you go to Jesus, be honest about your faith and be honest about your doubts. You know, past experience had taught Frank to be just a little cynical. Nothing had helped. So he finally decided to seek out Jesus. After all, word had been spreading about this rabbi and his disciples with healing power. But nothing was different. He goes searching for Jesus, can't find him. He finds the followers and says, well, maybe you guys can help. But then when Jesus comes and meets him, Frank says, you know what? I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. But if you can do anything... Help us. You know, I think we've all had Frank's discouragement. It's the reason that some people want nothing at all to do with church. The ineffectiveness, the inability of Jesus' followers to do anything about society's pain. It's the fact that Jesus' followers perhaps only made your pain worse. That you say, I don't want to have anything to do with those people. Or even worse and more hideous. Maybe Jesus' followers actually caused your pain. Perhaps past experience with those who call themselves Christians, it's jaded you to the power of God, the benevolence of God, the goodness of God. Well, be honest about that. Be honest, because the truth of the matter is, the followers of Jesus are often very poor imitators of Jesus. Don't let the action or inaction of Jesus' disciples keep you from honestly approaching Jesus. Frank didn't. He said, I do believe. Help me. Now, I want you to notice something. Here in this text, Frank says, I want you to help me. He does not say, forgive me. You see, I think that's what we have always thought this passage said. I do believe. Forgive my unbelief. You see, we've gone through life thinking that we need to apologize for all of our doubts. That there is zero room for being able to wrestle and struggle with our faith fears. But Frank understood what we do not. Belief is a journey, not a destination. So he says, help me. Help me get a little bit farther down the road. Help me get one more step with this pebble in my shoe. Help 
me push this boulder of doubt out of the way so that I can continue on this journey. Help me overcome my unbelief. If God is so good, then why do I sometimes feel so bad? If his message is so clear, then why is it that I get so confused? If he's in control, then why do good people have to deal with gut-wrenching problems? I believe. Help me. Help me with my unbelief. I think it's important to notice that Jesus did not rebuke Frank. Jesus doesn't belittle him. He doesn't point him out and say, guys, this is what you do not want to be when you grow up. Don't be like Frank. Don't be like Frank with his doubts. Don't be like Frank unable to believe. Don't be like Frank coming and saying, oh, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Jesus does nothing of that. Oh, he rebukes all right. But he rebukes the demon that was inside the boy. He rebukes the demon. It comes out. The boy is healed at that moment. And it says that all that were there were amazed at the greatness of God. All were amazed at the greatness of God. So what do you do when you're struggling? When you're unsure of who God is? You go to Jesus. You're truthful about your faith and your doubts. You acknowledge within yourself that belief, you know what? It's a journey that I'm on. It's not necessarily a destination where all of a sudden I'm going to arrive in this life at full belief. And then will you be thankful? Will you be thankful because God is patient? I think that's one of the big things that jumps out here in this passage. The patience of God. The fact that Jesus didn't rebuke Frank. The fact that he didn't say, look, nobody act like this guy. Jesus was patient with him. I love 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Does some understand slowness? People are wondering, when is Jesus going to return? Is he going to return? Maybe we can't trust God. He goes, no, 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 listen. God is patient. He is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. Now the word there for patience, it means that you are long-tempered, that you refuse to retaliate in anger. He's saying God doesn't treat us as some angry father who finds out that we have doubt, who finds out that we have question, and then explodes in wrath because how dare we come and question him. Why doesn't he? You say, why doesn't God act that way? It's because he does not want anyone to be lost. The word there for perish means permanent, absolute destruction. Peter says God doesn't want to drive anyone away from him. God doesn't want to push anyone out of his arms. Instead, he wants people to change their mind. See, that's what repentance means. Repentance means that you change. You have a change of mind because of new information that you have received. And so the idea is that the more you learn about God, 
the more that you will be willing to change your mind in the way that you see him. And Peter says, God is patient. He's not going to get angry as you come to him with these questions and these doubts because he doesn't want to lose you. He wants you to change. You see, every day offers a new opportunity to change our mind about God. Every day offers a new opportunity to be amazed at the greatness of God. Every day is another opportunity to truthfully play or pray. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And by the way, guys, that is a powerful prayer. Because after Frank and his son went home, Jesus' disciples came privately and asked him, why couldn't we? Why couldn't we drive that demon out? And notice Jesus' response. Well, this kind can only come out through prayer. Now read back through the text and you tell me who prayed. The disciples didn't pray. You don't find Jesus stopping here to pray. So who prayed? The only one that I see, the only petition that I read is this one. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Frank took a chance and he uttered a truthful prayer of struggle and heartache. It was nothing special. Just gut level honesty. I don't know, maybe you should try the same. Maybe you should try in your prayers today to tell God what you're really thinking and to ask the hard questions. It's okay because He is patient. And God hears the prayer of the honest struggler teetering between faith and doubt. He doesn't want to lose you. He wants you to change your mind. He wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is everything that you need. And everything that you could ever ask or imagine. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I just want to give us some time to, to just sit here and ask some of those doubt questions. And to just be honest before you. You know truly what we think of you in our heart. And the way we live out our life, it shows others what we think as well. We have great confessions. And we sing loud and proud. But it's our doubts that define us. And we live with this fear that somehow if we have these doubts that well, you're not going to listen to us. That you're going to be angry with us. And so we just, we just live an existence that is so much less than what you would have us live. Always fearful that if we come clean, 
that you would have nothing to do with us. Father, help us to learn today of your patience. Help us to lean into it. I'm thankful for the fact that you don't want any of us to be lost. That you want us all to have our mind changed about you. I'm thankful for the time that you've given us up to now to to struggle with the faith and doubts that we have. Father, I want for each and every person in here to be stronger in their belief. But I also understand that our truth strength will never come in this life. That there will always be doubts until that moment that we see you face to face. And so I want to say thank you. Thank you for loving us anyway. Thank you for sacrificing your son for us anyway. Thank you for giving us your scripture anyway. And Father, thank you for this day. For you've given us one more day to change our mind. And to walk one step closer to you in belief. Help us, Father. We do believe. Help us overcome our unbelief. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How about we do a little confessing this morning and allow it to encourage us to go do a little living. Maybe you need to come this morning, and you do need to actually confess and say, you know what, I have had doubts about God, I have struggled in my faith, and I have let it affect so many aspects of my life, and can we just pray again together for me personally? We'd love to do that. Maybe you've come to a belief of who Jesus is, and you are firm in that belief, saying, "I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't understand everything about his sacrifice. I don't understand everything about him being God. I'm still trying to learn that, but I... I'm going to depend on him for my life and for my salvation. We'd love to baptize you into Christ this morning. Allow the confession of your mouth. Allow it to be the confession of your heart. And allow it to be the confession of your life. As together we stand and sing, how great is our God.